It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 314 is episode 173, The Circular Economy and Your Money with Ron Gonan. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast, where you'll learn to save money, embrace simplicity, and live a richer life. Here are your hosts, Jen and Jill. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast. My name is Jill. And I'm Chloe. I almost forgot my name. (laughs) (laughs) You know it. You know it. You're here. And yes, that is a little different because Jen's on maternity leave because she had a baby. You've probably heard this. It was a nine pound baby. He's so cute. His name is Atlas. And as she's out caring for her new human in the world, we've got Chloe doing a stand-in co-hosting. This is different from an interview because while we have interviewed her in the past, you should check it out. She's just helping me co-host. She's she's the new Jen, except she's not. She's Chloe and she's amazing. <laughs> you should be, if you're not following her everywhere, she's got her own podcast called Money Bear. She's on Instagram as Clobear Money Coach. She's got a blog, clobear.com. I'm not, I'm going to be honest. My favorite is following you on Instagram. We had you on the podcast or I think both the podcast and for the summit at one point. And it was after that. I usually don't follow all of the people that we interview. That's just me being honest and vulnerable. But you, I did because you are <laughs> so fun to watch. And you are, you're super knowledgeable at, on particularly investing definitely all things money, but I know you talk a lot about investing and especially for beginners on Instagram. And that has helped me a lot. Even being in the personal finance space, there's areas that I don't feel super expert on, but you do it in such a shame-free, fun way. And any friend that I have coming to me being like, I want to invest. I'm like, don't ask me. Follow this girl on Instagram. You won't be upset. So that's my introduction of you. But what else do you you. want to say about yourself? Wow, guys, I didn't even know this. She's just revealing all of this to me now. Um, I am honored. Thank you so much. That's literally everything I try to do is I think that, you know, 
investing is scary for most people. It's gatekept for so long by people who already understand and are already wealthy. And my job is really to break it down for the average person, uh, because I certainly never thought I would be the type of person who was obsessed with investing. I studied English and Spanish in college. So I assumed I would just never be good with money. I would never learn the skill set. And then I became completely obsessed with it. So that's kind of my mission is to make it accessible for the everyday folk. And uh, I'm glad that's resonating. And you do it. You do it so well. <laughs> I appreciate but that. <laughs> we are here to bring you, and it's a rerun of an episode. Well, because Jen's on maternity leave. So let's just be real. But also, we love pulling these ones out of the archives. This was one of our favorites. We love interviews. The Circular Economy with Ron Gonin. And he is the CEO of Closed Loop Partners, the first in investment firm dedicated entirely to financing companies that solve problems with circular solutions. So here we're going to ask him all about his approach to investing, how we can aim at practices that are both financially and environmentally responsible. So this is all super relevant to one of the things that you're so good at, (laughs) Chloe, of investing, but then also being able to look at what are some ways that we can do this ethically and sustainably in investing, but also in some of our daily life decisions. So we kind of cover all these things with Ron in this interview. So we're excited to cue this up for you. If this is an interesting topic, you enjoy this. A few others that are similar that you can cue up after this is episode 266, Sustainable Minimalism and Frugality with Stephanie Safirian. That was such a good one. I'm going to say that about honestly all of our interviews (laughs) because the people we have on the show are so great and so cool. But And minimalism and frugality, I think, are sustainable, but I think we take a deeper dive into the specifics of why we believe that to be true and how we can enact that in our daily lives. Then we've got episode 210, which is tips to live zero waste frugally. We all know that it can be done frugally, but it also can be done in a really unnecessarily spendy, expensive way where people think that I need to go buy all of the high-tech, beautiful things in order to somehow go zero waste. And that's just not the case. So if this is a lifestyle that you're aimed at, I'm not zero waste. I'm low waste. I'm on a journey towards low waste. And this episode certainly and what we talked about there was really helpful for me in that. So just all things sustainability is what we are diving into. But first, you know the drill. This episode is brought to you by Basic Bombshells. The obvious alternative name for the Frugal Friends podcast has sponsored this episode today because they're loaded. Basic bombshells are loaded. We're just out here cutting expenses that don't matter and spending where we value and looking fire. And if you want to cover more basics, I highly recommend Chloe's free investing class because it's not just about saving and spending. It's also about investing. And if you feel like you could use some more info and understanding on this topic, this one's for you. Check it out at lazyinvestingclass.com. Be a basic bombshell. Learn the basics. Chloe, what do you want to say about I your free class? Love, I love the basic bombshells. I love the introduction into these ads. Like, I'm like, oh my God, this is genius. <laughs> 
these words combined came out of my mouth the other day because I love we love alliteration, obviously, for real yeah. friends. I was hanging out with Jen holding her baby and I forget the context, but I said something about basic bombshell and we loved it. And I'm like, that's going to be a-, a sponsor this week. But also <laughs> it's going to have to be a T-shirt. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. No, and if it is a- one, I'll get you one, Chloe. That's amazing. I love that endlessly. But yes, also, I have a free investing class. <laughs> Um, It happens twice a month, uh, usually in the same week. It's usually the last week of the month. Uh, It is live. It is the only time that you've got the ability to ask your questions from me live uh, and for free. So it's a good time. The community is always amazing. I'm always like blown away by how awesome my community is. It's like the nicest, most supportive, most like F yeah group of human beings in the webinar chat always. Um, so yeah. if that is something that's intriguing to you, if you're like, ooh, investing, this might be the next step in my journey. I highly recommend you come because we do our best to make sure that it is it's not scary and that it's actually kind of fun. <laughs> That should be your next step, honestly, after listening to this episode, because it is about investing. And if you want to learn more, then check out lazyinvestingclass.com. But let's get into this interview with Ron. We thought it was a banger. We hope you do too. See you after the interview. Welcome, Ron, to the Frugal Friends podcast. So happy to have you here. Glad to be with you today. We couldn't be more enthused about this topic. And we know that it's going to be something that our listeners are very excited to hear about, learn more about. I think this conversation is taking us to the next level of understanding and awareness and then actionable steps. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today. Absolutely. So Ron, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is the circular economy? What got you interested or even passionate about this way of approaching economics and sustainability? Sure. So today I'm the founder and CEO of Closed Loop Partners. Closed Loop Partners is a investment firm and innovation center focused on building the circular economy. And what we mean by the circular economy is developing manufacturing systems where you're able to manufacture the products that we all want without a dependence on natural resource extraction for manufacturing those products or the disposal and landfill of those products. Those are the two most expensive parts of the economy of manufacturing products is the extraction of natural resource and the disposal and landfill, not the actual manufacturing of the product. And if we can eliminate those two parts of the system, natural resource extraction, disposal, and landfill, we're going to significantly cut costs and protect our environment. So that's uh, what I do today and the area that I'm passionate about. How did you get involved with this, Ron? How did you decide this is what I really want to focus in on and even to start Closed Loop Partners or or be the CEO of it? Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate when I was in high school. My first job was working for one of the first green architects in America. And through his eyes and his experiences, I got to see first what it means to go against the grain, so to speak, because he was really one of the first in blazing a trail. And I also learned about all of these principles around sustainable design very early on in my life. And it just intuitively seemed to make sense to me. 
And that really got me started on a career that I've been very fortunate to have focused on sustainable business practices and maximizing um, financial returns. This topic excites me so much because when when my eyes are open to it, when I have conversations like this or have opportunity to watch shows that are focused on sustainability and you're identifying architectural design, and it, it does, it bleeds into and intersects with all aspects of our life. There's such a problem-solving component to it and creativity that I don't know if this is common, but I feel it's pretty common amongst humanity that there's something that draws us to that, but we don't necessarily know that this is something that we should be problem-solving or utilizing our creative juices about. And yet, I hear so many people complaining about plastic, right? If it's (laughs) the toys that their kids use or how much plastic is just around their house and how there's trash everywhere. Okay. Well, there's also a component to what can we do about that? This doesn't just have to happen to you. There's something that can be done. And you even talking about, oh, there's, there's ways that we can be selling products without extracting natural resources. I just want to hear so much more. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any overarching basics of what you can say regarding how we can go about doing this, uh, aiming at a circular economy, not extracting so much natural resources. Tell us about the problem solving and the creativity. Sure. Well, the, the first thing that's really important for people to recognize is that while recycling is absolutely a major benefit for protecting our environment, it's not the only reason why you should be recycling. The other reason why you should be recycling is it means that your city doesn't have to pay to stick your waste in a hole called a landfill. Unfortunately, the way our sanitation system was designed in the United States post-1950s, and this was intentional to hide numbers and costs from the general public to the benefit of certain industries, the cost of disposing of waste in landfills it's buried in our tax bill. It's not priced like other utilities like water or electricity. It's just a cost that's embedded in our tax bill and we have no idea how much are we actually spending and who are we paying all of this money to. And so the first thing that's really important for people to understand is that when you recycle, when you reduce, you reduce the amount that your municipality uses your tax dollars for disposing of material in landfill. And that's a really important thing to anchor everybody on. Yeah, I know you talk in your book about using New York City as an example of the way that they approach waste Mm -hmm. and the, the burden that it is on the city, but also surrounding states. Like they have to cross state lines to take trash to what, North Carolina even, as far south as North Carolina. Yep. So interestingly, New York City has probably the most robust recycling and circular economy infrastructure in the United States. So we're the only city in America where the cardboard boxes that get recycled in New York City actually get turned back into cardboard boxes in New York City and put back into the system, which is a great example of a way for the city to reduce disposal costs, generate revenue because it gets guaranteed payments for its recycled cardboard, and create a lot of local jobs. But New York City, even with the best recycling infrastructure in the country, could still do a better job 
recycling. And the material that doesn't get recycled has to go to landfill. And New York City doesn't have any landfills. And so it ships its waste to landfills in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and South Carolina. And so if you live in those three states, you're effectively the dumping ground for New York City's uh, garbage. And there's <laughs> private companies in your state that make a lot of money off of using your land to dispose of New York City's garbage. And oftentimes, if you're stuck on the highway behind a big 18-wheeler, and you think to yourself, well, at least that's American commerce and the American economy, and there's goods being transported around the country. In many cases, it may just be garbage that's being moved around <laughs> from one city to another state to find landfill space. That's insane. We so often, everybody forgets about taxes. They think taxes are just something they can't change. They'll always pay. Mm -hmm. So they never think about like, how can I effectively lower my tax burden? And this is actually one thing you can tangibly do. Like, I know some people complain about like, oh, recycling is expensive for our city. And like, nobody talks about how expensive landfills are for the city. Absolutely. And th that's, that's intentional. There's a phenomenal marketing campaign that for decades uh, was driven by the extractive industries and the landfill industries to hide the cost of extraction and hide the cost of disposal. And that seeps its way into the press. So I'll oftentimes get calls from the press and they'll say, well, the city just signed a contract to recycle and they're going to have to pay $40 a ton to recycle. What is your answer when people say, why should we recycle? It costs $40 a ton. And I say to the reporter, have you looked at how much it would cost to landfill those recyclables? And more often than not, the reporter hasn't looked up that information at all because they've been pitched on the story by landfill operators who have a vested interest in creating mm -hmm. this perception that there's a zero-sum game. Either you pay $40 to recycle or you snap your fingers and it all just magically disappears. And invariably what happens is I tell the reporter, go back and find out what are the landfill disposal fees? And they'll oftentimes come back and go, oh, that's interesting. The landfill disposal fees are $55 or $65 or $80. And I say, so that means that if you don't pay the $40 to recycle and potentially get the uh, revenue share that's in most recycling contracts, which can completely eliminate that, that $40 fee and create a, a revenue source. If you don't do that, if you just say, hey, I'm not going to recycle, I'm going to throw it in the garbage you will pay that instead 60 70 or $80 tip fee. Mm. Now, what was your question again about, is it worth it to recycle? And they're kind of like, yeah, I don't really have much of an article here, do I? I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a new article. Yeah, you, 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 have, you have a new article. But the reality is, is the United States spends billions of dollars a year of taxpayer money to subsidize extractive industry. So if you think about the oil and gas industry, which is where virgin plastic comes from, for decades, they've gotten billions in federal and state tax subsidies. People oftentimes will say to me, well, if we let capitalism work, recycled plastic, if it were less expensive than virgin plastic, everyone would be using it. And I say, I agree with you. Let's let capitalism work. Let's allow the free market to see who's cheaper. Unfortunately, if we continue to use federal and state tax dollars to subsidize the oil and gas companies, we're not allowing capitalism to work. We're not allowing the free market to work. We're behind the scenes, unbeknownst to a lot of taxpayers and consumers, subsidizing 
uh, an industry that's actually harmful for our health and environment. And same thing, we're spending billions of dollars then sending stuff to landfill. And that cost oftentimes is not transparent to to taxpayers. Mm. Yeah. So in your book, so there's the circular economy, which is what we want to move closer towards, which is like make, use, reuse, remake, recycle. Mm -hmm. But we're currently on the linear economy, which is take, make, use, dispose, pollute. Is there any other ways that the linear economy is costing us that we don't know about? Well, the, the, the two clearest ways that the linear economy costs us money is you're paying to extract natural resources to manufacture when you could just be using recycled material. It's much less expensive to use recycled material than birch. And the other obvious way it's costing us money is the disposing of products in landfill. The, the less obvious ways are all of this extraction of natural resources, it harms our environment. And that causes pollution. It causes health issues. The transportation of all of this waste to landfills causes you know, huge amounts of pollution with these trucks rolling around, but it also damages our roads and highways. These are 18-wheelers rolling around our highways causing a lot of damage, and it's completely unnecessary. So there's some very clear direct costs, and then there's a number of externalities as well that that cost is borne by the average citizen. Mm. And the, the element of, of what I would call severe unfairness is that if you do a great job recycling or you do a great job reusing, your tax burden is very low. You're not really sending anything to landfill. But if your neighbor is somebody that says, I don't care about any of this stuff, I'm lazy, I'm just going to throw everything in the garbage, the way our system is structured today is your tax dollars will be partially used to pay for the disposal of their items in landfill because the way we're structured is everybody just kind of shares in the cost of disposal. And that's completely mm -hmm. uh, unfair. Yeah, there's been some, I know we're talking a lot about trash and that's a lot, that's a lot of what this is about, but I know that there are some cities who will approach it and you purchase a bag, yeah. your trash has to go in that bag. So then you're only paying for however many trash bags, which yeah, that seems a bit more just for, I'm going to pay for the amount of waste that I actually use. But I think it seems to me as though when we talk about the linear economy, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about trash and how it's just easy. You, you mentioned being, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just lazy. It's the easiest route. And it, the way it's set up, it's the path of least resistance. So just buy it, use it once, throw it away. But when we talk about a circular economy, there's a whole lot more involved in that that I think touches on a lot more aspects of our personhood and lifestyles that is more creative, does engage with more problem solving. And there's a lot more components to explore versus just the trash that happens in a linear economy. The, the end of life of the product is the last point in the chain. And what we want to think about from the beginning of the chain is material science. Can we come up with new types of materials that don't involve any extraction? And then can we use product design to design products and solutions that use less material? So I'll give you a couple of examples. SodaStream, 
And I'll use that example first because they're not a portfolio company of ours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. So we can rag on them? <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I, 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 you want to think that I'm just sort of promoting, uh, promoting yeah. one, of my, <laughs> one, one of my companies. Neutral, neutral. Oh, yeah, neutral. So let, let's take SodaStream as an example. SodaStream is a great example of innovation and entrepreneurship where a system was developed where if you want great tasting you know, seltzer, you can get great tasting seltzer without all of the packaging. You can just make the seltzer at home with one bottle. So that's a good example of product design where you're actually providing additional convenience to the customer. You're helping them reduce costs and you're preserving our natural resources and the environment. So that's a good example of innovative product design that got to scale. Yeah. I love how you talk about sustainability as being profitable because so often we think of it as you have to sacrifice profitability for sustainability or you have to spend more in order to be sustainable. But that is, I mean, that myth is getting debunked. That that myth is a hoax that decades <laughs> was uh, perpetuated by the fossil fuel industry, the landfill industry, to make people think that, yeah, you can go be sustainable, but it's going to cost us money. Now, behind the scenes, the fossil fuel industry was getting federal and state tax subsidies. It was a, a complete hoax. It is a complete hoax. It's much less expensive to live a sustainable lifestyle. And actually, if you look back pre-1950, and this is one of the things I cover in the book, all of the marketing that we got in the United States was focused on two things, quality over quantity, quality over quantity, and the recycling of our paper, metal, glass, and plastic as a patriotic duty. Because if you have to extract natural resources, you're harming land in the U.S., but also, if you end up being dependent on natural resources from foreign countries, especially if they're not friendly to us, that's not really good for our national uh, defense. And so that's what you saw pre-1950, quality over quantity and recycling as a patriotic duty. Post-1950, there was a concerted effort by some major industries to change that messaging that people saw. And the messaging in the 1950s and 60s changed from it's about quality to your status is directly connected to just how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter if it's like good stuff or it's going to last a long time. It's just about how much stuff you have. And it went to, hey, don't worry about recycling. Like you just put it out and it'll all just disappear and we'll make you think it's all free. Mm. To have it go away. And it's a complete, it's a complete hoax that unfortunately a lot of a few industries made a lot of money off the back of taxpayers and, and consumers. But living a sustainable life, it's much healthier for you and your family. Um, and you're going to save a lot of money. My favorite part about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity when I'm like, wow, I can finally think clearly. How was I functioning in that mess before? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. If this sounds like the type of spring cleaning your finances need right now, then it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. 
All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Plus, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash frugal. That's mintmobile.com slash frugal. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash frugal. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I don't love creating my spending plan each month, and it took me a while to find a budgeting app that had simple features but didn't feel and look like a spreadsheet. If that's you too, Monarch's the way to go. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com frugal. I like how easy it is to customize my budget and create automatic transaction rules. The transaction widget helps me stay on top of my spending. After using Monarch for several months, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal for an extended 30-day free trial. It is quite striking to see the change that you've pointed out in just 70 years. Like 1950 was not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And we used to, as Americans, have a reduce, reuse, repurpose, yep. be creative with your resources, be good stewards of it. And and then that switch that has happened. And I think many of us, you know, might claim, oh, I'm not victim to advertising, but Really, my goodness, in 70 years, the, the shift that you have described and how many of us have bought into that and haven't even thought twice about the way that we utilize products. This is just how it is. We use things once and we throw it away. Yeah. And even the potential of manufacturers making things intended to break, like quality isn't... <laughs> I mean, I hear my grandparents saying, they don't make it like they used to. And sometimes well, yeah, I'm like, you have the stories but- in your book, like... I was shocked when I was reading some of the intentional stories of early manufacturers, like the light bulb people, getting together with their competitors, ensuring that everybody creates light bulbs that will not last past a thousand hours. (laughs) Then then you got to buy more light bulbs. I... (laughs) And knowing that there's still like there's a video camera on a light bulb that's been then shining for what like a hundred years or something, and the light bulb has outlasted three webcams. The the people that's that's absolutely true, and that's an example that I use in a book because I thought that that would be an example that everybody could relate to because everyone has the experience of every year a light bulb going dead, and you got to change the light bulb, and so on and so forth. And so you read about the reality that the original light bulbs over a hundred years ago were capable of maintaining themselves for years, but the light bulb manufacturers realized, well, but wait a second, if we make light bulbs that last for years, that's going to cut into our profits. If we make light bulbs that 
run out after a certain amount of time, people will have to spend money to buy more. That was an example I used in the book because I thought it was something everybody could relate to. Unfortunately, there's dozens of stories like that. A, a more modern story is let's look at a lot of the smartphone technology that we have. Smartphones are amazing. I'm in my 40s. When I was a teenager, so just you know, a little over 20 years ago, if somebody tried to describe a smartphone, people would have thought <laughs> yeah. you were out of your mind. Like you were talking you know, super futuristic type mm-hmm. uh, scenarios. So the designers and developers of smartphones, these are incredibly brilliant people. It's hard for me to believe that their brilliance ends at the ability to develop something that can't always just use the same charger, right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's always the charger. It's always the charger. T- uh, like, you, you're it telling- just happened with my phone last night. Yeah. It's like, you're telling me that like you, this amazing iPhone or, or Samsung phone that y- you developed, it can take pictures. I can watch movies. I can watch sports on it. I can do email. I can do all of this amazing stuff, but you couldn't figure out how the next version of it uses the same charger as the previous one. That's intentional. That's a revenue generating opportunity to just get you to buy another charger. That's the kind of stuff that we need to start stripping out of our manufacturing systems and our society because it's pushing costs onto the consumer that uh, shouldn't be there. And it's pushing disposal of products that are completely unnecessary. Those chargers that don't work anymore on phones, they have to be thrown out. Those companies aren't taking responsibility for picking them up and throwing them out on their dime. They're saying, you consumer, you city, you you figure it out. And that's, uh, that's not an efficient system. Yeah. Another thing that I found shocking from the book was the concept of obsolescence by desire. So like that wasn't like manufacturing goods that break wasn't good enough for manufacturers. It wasn't fast enough. So then they turned to advertising to make people think they needed new stuff. And that was so much quicker. And I think that's something, I mean, that's the main thing that we talk about on this show is to not be like tricked by that, yeah, but to read it was crazy. Yeah. So your your listeners that may have been fans of Mad Men, mm. this is actually what the show was about, right? P- Post-World War II, this advertising industry grew exponentially. There's always been advertising. But post-World War II, this industry grew exponentially. And the whole focus of that show is how do we hawk this product? How do we spin a story to make the consumer believe that their personal status is directly connected to owning this product? And what you find interesting about Mad Men is there's not a lot of satisfaction in the characters on the show. Mm. Right? The, the, the show isn't full of people who go, wow, I come in at work every day and I get the hot products, whether or not I believe in the product or not. I mean, my focus is really on like, I got to convince someone else that they absolutely need this product. Like, wow, I'm just, I just feel so personally (laughs) fulfilled. That's not, that's not the story, right? They're all struggling. It's like, what am I doing? (laughs) But that's effectively what happened in the, in the 1950s is we started moving our economy towards one of, we just need to 
maintain this massive industry we had built around the World War II, which was a really important industry. It helped us win the war, but it really should have been unwound or focused more on parts of the economy that actually benefit citizens. Unfortunately, it transitioned itself into one of let's make as much stuff as possible and just hawk the hell out of it. Yeah. Like you just had a really couple tough years. You deserve literally all the stuff. And I think we've brought that mindset for the last 70 years. You're going, you know, life is hard. You deserve stuff. (laughs) I mean, that's the mindset we live by. And what what (laughs) psychologists have shown us is that what makes you happy isn't lots of stuff. What, What makes you happy is your family and relationships, your, your, your friendships and the satisfaction you get out of what you do for a living and how much mm-hmm. you have. It's not core to your happiness. Everybody likes nice things, but the nice part of it is the key, which is what you should be focusing on is as a consumer is I, I want quality. I want something that looks good. It feels good. It lasts a long time. When I no longer want it, because I know that it was made well and designed with a certain aesthetic, I'll be able to sell it to somebody else and recoup some of the value. And if my aesthetic has changed or I just, my lifestyle has changed, I'll go out and get something else that's, again, designed well, high quality materials, so on and so forth. When we talk about consumerism, that's what we should be talking about, not uh, the, the route to my happiness is just how much stuff I, I have, whether or not it was made well or, or not. And how cheap can I get it? How, mm. how cheap can I get it? And you know, by, by the way, the, the question of like, how cheap can I get it? You also have to think about like, what kind of person do I want to be? Because if you're buying a $4 t-shirt, that means that there's somebody someplace in the world that was paid so little to make that shirt that that company could Get the cotton, make the shirt, transport it to the store for you to buy it. That means somebody was paid so little that mm-hmm. you were able to get it for four dollars. So you have to just also have to just think about like what kind of person do I want to be and mm-hmm. and what kind of system do I want to participate in? And if I saw making this, like how would I feel about it? And how well am I gonna care for something that I only spent four dollars on? When am I going to need another $4 shirt? Probably in a month from now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And then, and then it gets, it, then it gets thrown out. Right. And then mm-hmm. got to go to landfill. And you know, we, we have a weird sense of patriotism in America where we'll say things like American made, we want manufacturing in the U S but when I go to the store, I want the cheapest thing possible, which obviously means it, it's got to get made someplace where there's no labor laws. So we have this weird sense of, of patriotism in America where we espouse certain values, but we're not willing to pay for those values. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. Uh, that's a challenge, I think, as a society we need to overcome and, and understand the, you know, the, the ramifications of, uh, of that and how it's all interconnected. When, when you have somebody who can barely survive working in a factory in a developing country making our T-shirts, what they're going to ultimately try to do is they're going to try to get to America uh, and, and make a better life for themselves. So if you want to solve the immigration issue in the U.S., think about who's making your products and how poorly they're being treated and um, create a motivation for them to, to stay with their, in their home and their family where they want to be um, by giving them a livable wage. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about some like some actionable tips. Like what are um because most waste is created. I, I think it's created at the manufacturing level, if I've heard that right. So, like, we're not the manufacturers. We can do what we can. But, like, what are the most significant things we can do to promote a circular economy, mm-hmm. like, whether at home or urging companies to change? So it's, a gr- it's a great question. And different people have different interests. So, I'm going to give a few things that people can do depending on what their interests are. So if you're somebody that's very active politically, a great opportunity to go to your local political officials and say, how much are we spending on landfills? I want to know, what are, why are my tax dollars being used to send all this material to landfills? Like, There's lots of examples of cities and communities around the country and around the world that have robust recycling systems where this material is getting collected and processed and sold. So if you're someone who is interested in politics, get engaged around this issue of, we should be manufacturing in the United States. We have all of these commodities through the products we have, uh, and we don't wanna be sending things to landfill anymore. And the good news is there's a lot of bipartisan initiatives right now uh, focused on building circular economy and recycling infrastructure. So that's something you can do if you're interested in, in politics. If you're just somebody at home wanting to do the right thing by the environment, but also save money, make sure you're recycling everything possible. Really understand how to recycle. If you've got a local curbside organics program where your city's not collecting your food waste, make sure you're giving your food waste for composting. So that's that's something you do. Then if you're really interested in product design and products, when you're at the supermarket, we're at the store, research the products that you're buying and make sure that they're using as much recycled content as possible understand the materials that are being used and try to shop responsibly or in a way that aligns with your, with your values. Absolutely. Yeah. Spending in alignment with your values. It does result in actually spending less, like consuming less. And yeah, that's like the first part. Yeah. And that's not even to mention investment, right? (laughs) You've got closed loop partners where you can even be wealth building in this vein. Right. So, so that, thank you for bringing that up. So that's the other thing is if you're interested in investing, if you over the last decade focused on investing in renewable energy, electric vehicles, recycling systems, you would have made a lot more money than if you would have said, eh, I want to stay in ExxonMobil. I want to stay in cars, companies that aren't going electric. I want to invest in landfill operators. So if you're an investor, this is definitely where the world is going. And it's going there for a very important reason, which is the more sustainable a company is, the more transparent they tend to be. Meaning they're proud to tell you the materials they use, where those materials come from, the labor that they use, how their supply chain operates. They're proud of it. It's something that they have designed with efficiency in mind. And what do you want as an investor? You want to maximize transparency. You want to mitigate risk. You don't want any surprises. You want as much information as you possibly can get. And that's what you're going to get out of investing in investment firms like Close with Partners that focuses on circular economy and recycling or other firms uh, that do it or just do public equities that are focused 
in this area. Mm. The beautiful thing about what you're saying, too, is that as we move towards this more circular economy and make both macro and micro level changes, it does save us money, again, on the macro level and the micro level, which I know we we want to do. We don't want to be spending as much. We want to be saving more. We want to be earning more. We want to be building wealth. And all of this aligns beautifully. We're not sacrificing one thing for the other, to be content with the products that we have, to have quality over quantity, to be concerned about the level of items going to the landfill impacts our taxes. Like, I love that every single thing that we've talked about does benefit us on the micro level. Yeah, absolutely. You know what else benefits us, Jen? On the micro and every macro week. level. <laughs> The Bill bill of the the Week! That's right! It's time for the best minute of your entire week! Maybe a baby was born and his name is William. Maybe you paid off your mortgage. Maybe your car died and you're happy to not have to pay that bill anymore. Duck bills, Buffalo bills, Bill Clinton... This is the Bill of the Week. Ron, every week we invite one of our listeners or our guests to share with us their Bill for the Week. So do you have a Bill for us today? I do. And I really like this concept that you do because it forces you to really think creatively about how to connect dots. And so my Bill of the Week is going to be Bill Moyers. Bill Moyers used to, he's, he's getting up there in age, but Bill Moyers, for most of his career, has produced exceptional documentaries. And um, I've always learned a tremendous amount watching Bill Moyers' documentaries. And one comes to mind, which I would recommend to everybody to listen to, which is uh, The Power of Myth, which is about Joseph Campbell. And I bring that up because I think studying history Uh, is a really important way to understand the system that you're living in today and why it was constructed that way and to just have greater self-awareness. So Bill Moyers would be my Bill of the Week. We can't know where we're going if we don't know where we came from. Mm. This is, we've never had this one before. So, yeah, well I love it done, when we Ron. get like a, a person bill. Um, uh-huh. Those are my, those <laughs> are my really favorite. Yeah. It's interesting that you say this. My husband just this week was saying how he really wanted to watch a documentary, but was having a hard time finding one that, that interested him. And so here we go. I know what oh we're gosh. doing this week. Any, anything, yes. anything by Bill Moyers will be uh, an exceptional learning experience. And just help you think about just systems and structures and where we came from and how we live today. I really like The Power of of Myth by Joseph Campbell, which was a book that Joseph Campbell wrote, but Bill Moyers did a a special uh, series interviewing Joseph Campbell on it. But he's got lots of great documentaries that, um, that he's done on all different topics. So I thought it was a great question for a podcast. I wanted to come up with an answer that uh, hopefully... Is, is unique and uh, and, and full of uh, unique experience. 
Thank oh, you for it your appreciation. I know. And clearly, we like creativity and problem solving, and you did both mm-hmm. today. So if you all who are listening want to submit your bill of the week, you've got something creative, you've solved a problem, you know a guy named Bill, visit frugalfriendspodcast.com slash bill, leave us your bill. You know we love to hear it. Yes. I don't love creating my spending plan each month, and it took me a while to find a budgeting app that had simple features, but didn't feel and look like a spreadsheet. If that's you too, Monarch's the way to go. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. I like how easy it is to customize my budget and create automatic transaction rules. The transaction widget helps me stay on top of my spending. After using Monarch for several months, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal for an extended 30-day free trial. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So now it's time for... The lightning, the lightning round. round. Right. Uh, so <laughs> we do a lot of noises and singing and yelling. It gets here. exciting in the second yeah. half of the show. Yeah, right. Literally. I mean, it was exciting the first half. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today we're gonna share. This is where we kind of get a little more personal, like what we're doing to promote the circular economy personally. So, Ron, as our guest. We would love it for you to go first. You're going to have the best answer, and our answers are going to com- are going to pale in comparison. But we are very excited to hear what you say first. What I am doing to promote the circular economy is to try to build the most successful investment firm uh, focused on backing the most brilliant entrepreneurs building solutions uh, for the circular economy. Nice. What's like one that you're really excited? I know they're like children and you shouldn't pick a favorite, but like, what are you really <laughs> excited about right now? What's one of them? Which one's the coolest though? <laughs> for that preface, because yes, 50 portfolio companies and I love them all equally. And 
way. Um, one that we're very excited about is Home Biogas, which is a company based in Israel that's developed a, the first household size anaerobic digester. Anaerobic digesters convert food waste and biological waste into gas. And so in the United States, a lot of the wastewater treatment facilities have large digesters. These are like 50 to $250 million type facilities that turn biosolids into energy. Some municipalities now have anaerobic digesters for food waste. A number of dairy farms have them. But these are big, big, multi-million dollar facilities. No one's ever figured out how to miniaturize the technology down to the household level. And Home Biogas has been able to develop a small anaerobic digester that looks like an appliance. You put it into your backyard. You put all of your food waste into it. It converts it into gas that can pump into your hot water heater or into your stove. So homebiogas.com, check them out. We're super excited about them. Totally disruptive. And back to the earlier point on our conversation, a great example of how sustainability saves money. You take all of your food waste, and rather than sticking it in the garbage where your city's going to use its tax dollars to ship it to a landfill, instead you take that food waste and you put it in your home biogas system, and now you're generating your own gas for cooking or for hot water, which also saves you money. So that's one portfolio company that I'm very excited about. Oh, it's amazing. Cool. I love hearing about such cool, innovative things that utilize, yeah, your waste and then make it productive. It's People are brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. My turn. <laughs> Jill. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am turning my food waste into sustainable energy. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Um, no. So it's very, very simple. I think some of the things that I'm doing, but again, hailing back to my days of tiny living, it really connected me to my waste, the amount of water that I was using, just ever. I mean, you're very connected to all of your waste in some really gross ways, but in some really challenging ways too, when you live tiny. And I think some of those things have carried over, but a little part of me does die when I throw things out. So I have been looking at how do I stop doing that? One very, very small thing that I've realized when I go grocery shopping. So if I can't get to the farmer's market or find a place where I can just like purchase produce, if I'm at the grocery store purchasing produce, I've stopped using the plastic bags. Like, you know, the plastic bags in the produce section where you could just like shove your apples into. I'm like, I don't actually, I'm just going to get home. And I'm going to throw all of this away. So mm-hmm. I bring in my own bags and okay, if I don't want them sitting in the shopping cart, fine, I'll put them into the bag. And then yes, I'm going to have to wash them when I get home because they're sitting on the conveyor belt and who knows what was on the conveyor belt, but it feels a lot better to not come home and just immediately within 30 minutes, throw a ton more plastic into the trash. So that's something tiny. And I've been mending my own clothing. I've been buying significantly less clothing. Thank you, tiny living. And if it's broken, I mend it. So I like my clothes and I want to keep them and I mend them. And that's that. I think those are all excellent examples for your listeners. It's amazing over the course of a year, how many plastic bags we use at the supermarket for our produce (laughs) completely unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. And that just shows you the inefficiency in the system. Like the supermarket is buying all of those bags and they're passing that cost off to the consumers because they have to cover those costs. 
And then we as consumers use those bags. It's completely unnecessary. You can just put it in your shopping cart and mm-hmm. put it in your shopping bag and, and go home. And then at, at home, we have all these plastic bags that we literally used for maybe an hour. And then we just throw it in the garbage. So love that example. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Love the fact that you mend your own clothes. Um, we actually need an industry in the United States where people f- mend clothes again, fix electronics mm-hmm. again. And so love all of those examples. Mm, mm. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not needed. Most of the ways that we approach it. and mind you, you are paying for that plastic, right? Like they, they offer it like yeah. it's free, but like you're uh, paying for it in the pricing of the produce. That, that's what I mean by all of these hidden costs in the system is you're just grabbing these plastic bags people don't stop to think for a moment they're like oh the supermarket bought these because they think i want them but they're gonna have to cover their costs Mm -hmm. and so that cost gets passed on and this is what i mean by like we got to break that that system and avoid all these unnecessary costs Mm -hmm. jen what you got for us so um i have a few wins lately on the subject of grocery bags so i do grocery pickup and in, like they just put every individual item in a plastic bag. It's so useless. But like, so I will, there's um, the other grocery store near me has like the recycling for those plastic bags because we can't just throw them in our regular recycling. And so I will hoard these bags and get like a big bushel of them and then take them to the grocery store and one time I was like taking my my carrying my bushel and a lady uh she's like thank you so much um and I was like you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah (laughs) I do that with my bags but yeah so I I my most recent win is I try to buy as much clothing as possible secondhand, but jeans have been something I've had a real problem with, but I've devoted myself like to buying new jeans, to really like buying quality and buying them secondhand. Um, And so I went to Nordstrom and I tried on all the nice sustainable jeans so I could find my size, found my size. Went to the, um, saved all my sizes and stuff and uh, saved searches on ThreadUp so I can find when the good jeans in my size come up, then it sends me an alert so I can see if I want them or not. But then I also went into our local, um, it's like a, it's like a local consignment. It's like a Plato's closet, but it's local and found a pair in my size that are not just like good quality, but they're the ones that are like also like we make our jeans sustainably too. So I got sustainable jeans that are good quality secondhand and they feel so good. And so I just felt like a real winner that day. <laughs> you you so were like, win- you you were a real winner that day. <laughs> <laughs> Ron sure. says you were. Yeah. Sorry. And it's a great example for your listeners and one that that Every everyone listening can can replicate. It's a it's a great story. On the example you gave on the plastic bags, we're running a major initiative at Closed Loop Partners on reinventing the user experience around uh, shopping and what those bags look like. It's called Reinvent the Bag. So if any of your listeners want to Google Reinvent the Bag or go to our website and uh, look for it if they're interested in that area. 
that's one thing that's a major focus of ours is how do we reinvent the consumer experience to make sure people can easily get the things that they need, but avoid um, all of those bags. Another thing you can do with those bags is weave them into blankets for the homeless. I mean, you can also just give them like good blankets, but apparently the insulation factor of them are decent. Well, that's, that's the thing about plastic is that it's this bag that was made to use once, but the way plastic is designed is it doesn't really break down. So Mm-hmm. From the perspective of yeah. <laughs> nature, it's extremely dangerous. From a usability standpoint, um, plastic can be a, a great product. Yeah, and you could literally make it into blankets for homeless, and it'll be waterproof and 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 generate heat. It's important for people listening to understand, like plastic in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. Plastic has a lot of major benefits. It's super lightweight. It can be uh, formed into multiple shapes. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to plastic. The key is it can never be virgin plastic because that means that there's a fossil fuel extracted. We should be using material science to develop plastics that can be manufactured in labs. And whatever plastic is out in the market, we have to make sure that we're always, always recycling it to make sure that it never ends up in in nature. Mm. Beautiful, Ron. Where can people get more from you, your book, more knowledge from you? If this is an exciting topic, how do people get at you? There's my book, The Waste-Free World, that uh, people can learn about the history of the linear economy, the circular economy. There's lots of really fun and interesting stories in there. So that's one area to learn about the circular economy. Another area is if you go to our website, closewithpartners.com, and you just look at our different portfolio companies with about 50 companies all doing really innovative things in the circular economy. That's also a great way to learn about innovative solutions and um, great companies in the circular economy. That's awesome. And the book will definitely make you rethink the things that you may have taken for granted and definitely make you double think about the waste that you're producing. I know it did for me. So I highly, highly recommend the book. It's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And, um, any of your listeners that get the book, I hope they they enjoy it and um, also learn from it and uh, love to always hear from people about what they thought. Excellent. Thank you so, so much, Ron, for being with us today, for sharing about the circular economy. Uh, it's been a blast. All right. Thank you so much, guys. It was uh, great to be with you today. Well, that was fun re-listening to that interview when you you all got a special treat of hearing Jen's voice again. Uh, she is still alive. She's just nursing a baby and trying <laughs> to sleep whenever she can. And so we got Chloe here to wrap us up. But I do kind of want to give a follow up to that lightning round to say that I proudly am still using reusable bags at the grocery store store. I bring in my own even when the grocery store is offering them to me. I still bring in my own. I felt a little funny at first. That feeling has passed and I just I'm in my mid 30s now. I don't really care what people think on on anything about me. 
and that's, it's getting worse and worse. I'm that's the beauty. Oh my gosh! I I, yeah. I was at a wedding last week, and my grandparents were there, and I was like, I my I haven't seen my grandpa in a while, and he came out to the pool wearing like his socks with his like flip flops, <laughs> and like had like a toothbrush just like sticking yeah. out of his like his pocket here, and I was like, man, I can't wait to get to the level of no no f's given, none, like none at all, <laughs> and that's. That's what scares me a little bit because I do see that in people in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. And and I'm a little concerned with where I already am in my <laughs> mid-30s. Like, what will this produce? But you know what? Probably great things because of how much I love seeing the elderly community just out there doing their thing, not caring. 100%. I think caring the key, less. I think the key is to, like, still care about like social issues and to like stay up to date on like what matters because obviously what we think is like cool and progressive now is going to be very different in 20 30 40 Mm, years Um, but like you combine that with the like i don't care about anything it's this like it's this beautiful existence Mm, i think mm, mm. i hope i'm there to watch you on instagram (laughs) combine that beautiful in my 70s And I actually did the other day. Don't do this often, but I did mend clothes. I had I got to this point where I had a whole list of things that need that I I liked and I didn't want to have to replace them. They just needed a little bit of patching up. And I did it. And got something it was something to do you know mm-hmm. while I'm mending clothes I can't be spending money so that was nice and I don't have to buy the things to replace them and yeah I've done that a few times too and I'm always like this is actually easy it's not the prettiest like patchwork but yeah you know it works you weren't there for the interview but do you have any things that you do that are more circular more sustainable so i have to admit i have never heard the phrase circular before um which i guess is revealing on my involvement in the sustainability community it's not that i'm against it i'm just i'm new to it and i do love though that everything we do in terms of frugality almost everything is sustainable in a lot of ways. So I have a lot of that naturally, where like, for example, I will drive my car, which is a Prius, Mm. until it dies. Period. End of story. Because (laughs) because it's obviously, I think it's wasteful to buy a new car every couple of years, but also it's a Prius. And Mm. um, I don't know if you've seen the cost of car ownership in today's world. You know, I will do everything I can to ride ride my old Prius till till it dies. Um, Besides that, I mean, it's something that I definitely think about a lot. Like I do. I think a lot of the things I do are just kind of entrenched in my habits already like bringing those plastic bags or bringing those reusable bags to the grocery store Aldi makes it easy because it's like yeah. everybody's doing that uh, you don't even you don't even <laughs> they don't think give about you a choice it. yeah you don't even think about it and I think it's interesting too because I also think the mindset around sustainability varies so heavily based off of where you live because yeah. like when you're in California everyone's thinking about it everyone's doing the things there's it'd be weird if you didn't bring your bags Mm -hmm. to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Arizona, there's like not even recycling. 
Like nobody, yeah. none of the apartment complex have recycling uh, people. And it depends on what part, like in Phoenix sure. or Scottsdale, where I was at, I was in this huge apartment complex and there was no recycling. And I just remember just being like, wow, this is weird. Uh, that's a weird thing to get used to. Yeah. yeah. I've been places like that. I'm like, what, where you, you mean you don't have a place for your recycling? Right. What do I do? I'm like, do I pack well, it in my bag and take it home? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I get the argument that a lot of the recycling that gets quote unquote yeah. recycled doesn't actually get recycled. So I get it, but it's like, at least I feel better. No, I'm doing what I can, you know, mm-hmm. by by putting that um, recycling out. So, so yeah, I, I don't have a ton of different ways where I'm actively doing it. And that actually, as I was like preparing for this question, I was like, apparently I need to be better about this. <laughs> I was like, I, all right, call I to action. Though that, <laughs> I mean, that's honest. And I think a great place where... I, a lot of people are probably finding themselves and even just engaging in that question is not even the beginning. That's like step 10, which mm-hmm. is which is excellent. And you already do have examples. I think I, I love the heavy hitter of considering transportation because we love to talk about these smaller factors. And as much as I am glad that I take in my own bags, that's almost like the latte factor where, right. okay, but how much of a dent is, I'm not saying don't do it, but we're not going to make huge strides in our savings or spending goals if we're only cutting out right. the lattes and the cappuccinos. We also want to be thinking about these things that make big impacts on the environment and on our budgets. And I think when we consider housing and transportation and really where we spend the most of our money is also where we can be considering some huge gains in sustainability as well. So for sure. Well, I I forgot probably the biggest examples. I don't eat meat and I don't drink alcohol. Hey, so those two alone are huge. Um, (laughs) Yes. I always forget about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I also live my life very sustainably in that aspect. And I've, you know, I've read that one of the biggest things that you can do is even just cutting out meat once a week. And so yeah. I'm covered, guys. I got that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, covered. That. I'm covered. I'm covered. I'm like, phew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making all the good decisions. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a well terrible done. person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I just remembered. Okay. I'm amazing. I, I forgot. I'm basically a champion of sustainability. I'm just kidding. It's Basic just it's, bombshell yeah. over here. Exactly. But no, it's like I said, I'm like, I don't think about it a lot because it's a lot of stuff that I do naturally is like, I don't eat meat. It didn't start out as a reason for climate change it started out because i don't really like meat <laughs> and like yes. it's not it's not very healthy most of the time and then the alcohol thing too you know it wasn't necessarily because of sustainability it's just like one of those benefits that come from it you know all the bottle usage that you get from from drinking beer or whatever you know uh and then not only that the alcohol plants and like the exhaust and all that stuff that comes off of that i think in a way is sustainable but um yeah, it's just stuff that I don't think about and just doing it anyway. Love that. Well, friends, that's Chloe. Again, a, you should be following just a her. Just champion out here. <laughs> very, at least I'm very just honest. A, <laughs> just a basic bombshell champion. Yeah. Just doing what I can. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, this was great. And thank you guys so much for listening. We love, love reading your kind reviews. And we especially loved this one from Dr. Cindy Luhu, which shout out to Dr. Cindy Luhu, because 
The Grinch is my favorite. Like it's like oh, it's so like my number one favorite movie during Christmas. I have to watch mm, it like four mm, times. Yes. But the title of her review was or or Cindy Lou Who, whatever your pronouns are, non-judgmental financial advice. I love how affirming the hosts are. So many personal finance spaces rely on shame to motivate their audience, but Jen and Jill focus on learning about yourself and your values. I appreciate when they talk about seasons of life and acknowledge that priorities change over time time that's such a nice review that is such a nice review we love these nice reviews thank you so much dr cindy lou who for just being so kind when so many people are choosing the opposite of kindness look at you and i'm so thrilled that this has been a helpful space for you where you can find judgment free and helpful advice thank you everyone for listening and if you enjoyed the show please take a minute to leave a rating and review it really does help potential new listeners to know what the show is about, that it is about friendship and fun and finances and like not just finances. And so your reviews help to weed out the people who might not be a frugal friend. And and we love that. And thank you, Cindy Lou Who. And thank you, Chloe. And thank you, everyone. And thank you. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Atlas. And thank you. And I want to thank. This is her award speech. <laughs> yeah. She's like, here's my acceptance speech, Cindy Lou Who. Thank you so much. All right. With that, we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Frugal Friends is produced by Eric Siriani. <laughs> it's like I'm like picturing you standing up at a at a podium just being like and I want to thank my it started to feel that way to me great. and I think especially because hearing someone else read their usually it's Jen or I reading the ratings and reviews and the membership wins and all of that right. and so like hearing you read it and also your voice is so great too um <laughs> I think the you're end of so all of these kind. episodes that you're on I'm just gonna fan out <laughs> Because I'm realizing you you don't talk that much on your Instagram. It's more like music and dancing yeah. and words across the screen. But you have a very great voice. That Thank you. I could wow. read positive reviews, listen to positive reviews out of your mouth all day. Oh and it gosh. did. It felt like an award show to me. I am so honored. I just this apparently anytime speech. I need and t- anytime I need a hype, I just need to come onto the Frugal yes. Friends podcast and be like, thank you so much, Jill. I will take all of these compliments. Uh, it's funny, though, that you say that because uh, the Money Bear podcast, I you know started doing it last July. And the reason I started, I was like, oh, talking is easy. I can I can do this all day long, every day. And I love the sound of my own voice. And recently, I want to say it was like two months ago, I was listening to a podcast with my friend, career coach Darcy. And she's got a great podcast voice. She's very like, very even keel, like just smooth. And I was listening. And then when my part would come on, it sounded like I was yelling at her. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I was like, Chloe, what are you doing? It was like, because they're just so excited, high energy. It's like that almost that like presentation voice. And so I have had to start practicing, like lowering my register just Uh. to not like yell at people <laughs> like excitedly oh, yell at people so you have to go back and listen to that 
specific episode because I'm like, oh my, I can't even stand listening to myself. But I'm glad <laughs> that I listened to myself because I'm like, Chloe, that is obnoxious. <laughs> so, oh, this feels like my call to action. I feel like I'm so excited and hyped most no! of the time that I'm that I am yelling. No, I will say I've never felt I, and I don't think Darcy felt like I was yelling at her. I think she probably sure. just thought I was like really excited, but I didn't get any yelling vibe. Your own impression. Of so yeah, everybody can go and listen to that episode and be like, yeah, you are kind of yelling, you know, <laughs> it was like positive yelling, but just don't leave a bad review for it. No. She knows and she's course correcting. I'm working on it. So, but hey, we're still new to the podcast. Do you ever listen to your early episodes? Oh, I think <laughs> I did a while ago and never again. It's See? too much. It's too cringy. But oh, you yeah. know, everyone told us from the start, don't worry about it. Just start. Put it out there. No one's going to go back and listen to that first episode. But they do. For years, <laughs> that very first episode was, was the, the number one downloaded <laughs> episode. Yep. I want to say for at least the first two years of the podcast. And oh, yeah. Oh. The ones the ones I get the message on the most is my first one. It's the yeah. very first episode. And I'm like, wow. And then I think about it. When I start to like a podcast, I do the same thing. I go back to the very first one to like <sighs> listen to a few in order. But yeah. yeah, you know, it's just one of the things they get a they get to see and witness the growth in real time. Yeah. And hopefully that's encouraging for them to start their own too. Oh, oh. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about coming full circle. Mm -hmm. You and your podcast circular economy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Listen, this, rinse, repeat, this start is, your own. Yeah. This is literally what I was thinking about last night was, you know, I think so many people want to do something like they want to start an Instagram account. They want to start mm -hmm. creating content about something, but they often tell themselves, well, too many people are doing that right now. And I just think about like, but somebody out there is starting today. And yeah. you don't like they could be the next big thing, but it's because they just decided to start. And I was like, wow, that's so profound. Like while I'm sitting on my toilet and just like, yeah, <laughs> I need to share that. I need to tell people this. <laughs> we're all on our, we're all on the toilet while we're scrolling. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I love so, that. Anyway, vulnerability. There's, a, there's a profound thought to leave you guys with. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, hopefully you're also listening to this podcast on the toilet. But that'd be fun too. <laughs> let us know. Yes, please let us know. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.